The demand for electric vehicles in Australia is increasing, but there are a number of challenges to the industry's expansion. To gain insights into the Aussie EV market, I'm talking to Riz Akhtar from Carloop. Carloop provides data to support decision making, whether it's for transport policy development and planning, emissions analysis, fleet transition, or infrastructure investment. Yeah, thanks for talking to me. No stress at all, Adrian. Thanks for reaching out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw your website. Oh, that's that was good. For um, just for that level of data. <laughs> it's um, yeah, it's quite interesting because you'd think that we have this information. I think so. You're in New Zealand, right? Yeah, yeah. So you have the luxury of having um, only uh, one department for everything. Here we have, as an example, you have one department of transport that does yeah. one, they report on EV uptake, they report on how many EVs are where, what's happening. In Australia, you multiply that with eight or nine different departments because every state has, territory has their own. Yeah. And then nobody understands where things are at with the EV uptake and some states do better than others and some territories um, have their own systems and there's no coherent way for organizations and those that are interested in EVs to really get an understanding of what's going on. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, oh, sorry. That's a, yeah. That's, that's where we sort of started to aggregate a lot of that data sets and then try and paint a better picture to help Australia transition towards electric vehicles and then, you know, the role that electric vehicles play on the grid and the impact of EVs on the grid and the rest of it to help us transition more smoothly. Yeah. Like you said about all the different organizations, like that, I watched that uh, live stream of you, the, the, was it the ludicrous feed for Tom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like yeah. the New South Wales authorities were on. Yes. And, um, yeah, like you said, they seem pretty onto it, but then there was all these other, I was thinking about, oh, what about all the other states and territories? And then I found out there was a national policy as well when I was doing research. So, yeah, it must be quite uh, confusing oh, for people. Trust, trust me, the national policy is still about eight months away, the national strategy. Yeah. There's a consultation paper at the moment. And yeah, the, like I said, there's all these different parties that are trying to head to the same direction, but it's it's difficult when there's people within one particular government don't talk to each other, let alone multiple governments and multiple political parties and all the rest of it. So it's trying to harmonize all of that. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to actually say, I had that quote from, I read in the paper, it said, uh, this is from The Guardian, World EV Road Trip Reveals an Australian Market in the Slow Lane, Dr. Jack Whitehead. Oh, yes. Um, do you think, is, it, is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are yeah, your that, thoughts? <laughs> look, um, I think, so Dr. Jake Whitehead works for the Electric Vehicle Council. They are a lobby group that promotes electric vehicles for the corporate companies. That's just my understanding of what the Electric Vehicle Council does. Um, and, yes, there is that... Um, we are, uh, let's just say, not leading the pack. But in many ways, I don't think we're as bad as sometimes we are 
perceived to be in the media. So, yes, Australia may not have had the uptake that some other countries have had. But to be fair, we're not too far behind the US. There's all these figures that are being thrown around, around we're so far behind, but we're the only ones that are seeing the real data around what's going on. And it's not as grim as it is made to be sound in the traditional headline-grabbing media. Oh, yeah, yeah. Actually, on, on the data topic, what's, what's some of the data from your website actually showing? Or what are people searching for or looking for? So the most common thing is around electric vehicles by postcode. So the organizations and companies want to know what does the transition look like today? Where is it going? And to do that, you need to know what is the current state of EV uptake. Um, we're the only ones to have a national EV uh, by location data set where we can use that to inform local governments, people on the ground doing the work to helping Australians get behind EVs and inspire them to think about an EV. Um, we want to support those organizations and those, you know, governments at local level. So we talk, we spoke earlier about electric vehicles and uh, the data at the national level where we have different state yeah. and territories. Now, bring that same conversation to the local level around we also have local governments. Yeah. So within a state, we have, you know, state of Victoria, we have 78-odd council and shires. They have their own local governments that they've got to, or they have their own area that they have to fulfill the needs of the residents and even for them to understand what's happening in the state of EVs because they are the ones on the ground installing the chargers and installing some of the local infrastructure to support their residents and then further accelerate uptake, we want to be supporting them as well. So electric vehicles by postcode is a pretty, um, one of the most comprehensive data sets by far in Australia that we have. Um, and that's what that is the most popular for those that are looking at developing strategies for organizations that are looking at writing reports and better understand what's happening. We empower them with that information so we empower australia's transition towards evs using data yeah it's quite amazing guys like zooming in i just thought state state territory is like oh it goes it goes right in <laughs> it goes, yeah, zooms so right in on um into quite a specific little areas and and that's data. that's the only way we can make real change there's it's good to have high level national stuff which, like I said, we're still eight months away from our EV strategy here in Australia uh, because we've got a new recent government and the rest of it. But I think things need to happen more at the ground level and on the ground, local governments, EV consumers and those looking at purchasing are waiting for signals. And unfortunately, if we wait another eight months, we're eight months sort of, we should be putting in measures in place today so for what's going to happen in eight months what we're doing is we're waiting for those eight months to happen then we have a national strategy then we wait another bit of time for certain states and territories to have their own strategies that are now in line with the national strategy and then well where does that leave people at local government level they need yeah. to be thinking today otherwise they're three years from making any decisions yeah. Will the will the national strategy 
be put in place or will the states and territories just do their own thing anyway? At the moment, the states and territories are doing what they can. So they do have their own subsidy schemes and strategies. Like um, some give you, uh, like I, I believe in New Zealand, there's a clean car discount. Yeah, the cat, yeah, clean car rebate, yeah. Uh, where here we have subsidies at state levels, but they all have different criteria. As a rough example is in New South Wales, the the chaps that you were mentioning from their um, EV strategy team, they're quite progressive. So they've got things like rebate on electric vehicles of $3,000 under $68,000 as such. Then they have stamp duty reduction or stamp duty rebate that they get. So stamp duty is like a tax on a vehicle that generally goes to the road authority or Department of Transport. They've got that exemption as well. Um, so that's one state. Then you go come into Victoria and we really only have a subsidy on um, $3,000 for under $68,000 um, and no stamp duty exemption. Then you go to Queensland. They have the $3,000 subsidy that's only kicked in since early July but it's only for EVs under 58,000. So Tesla Model 3 doesn't qualify for that. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you say New South Wales is leading the sort of leading the pack at the moment. They, they really are. And I think that, so that's at the state level, and that's without having a national strategy which the states can harmonize themselves with. Um, so, yeah, that's where sort of things are going at the moment yeah and and brand wise uh is, is it tech, i guess or tesla's leading isn't it i read on your site yes yeah, so tesla's leading the pack uh we did get um the october figures as such and i th- believe let me see if i can find it very very quickly um tesla's definitely leading the pack uh followed by some of the recent months we've had, um, oh yes, I've got the information now. So around 15,000 Teslas have been delivered to Australian customers till the end of October. Um, and then after that, it's generally speaking, other models like um, Hyundai's had uh, quite a few different vehicles that they've delivered but it's nowhere near. So, you know, Hyundai as a total has delivered around 2,000 EVs, whereas Tesla's, like I said, around 15,000. Yeah. And one of the problems actually yeah. getting them into the country, isn't it? Traditionally speaking, it has been, but now things are changing. Like the Teslas, they're producing more, they're delivering more. I'm sure the same situation in New Zealand. And BYD, yeah. obviously the more affordable market, uh they've they've done they've started to deliver i think new zealand got a couple of weeks ahead in terms of the delivery schedule but last time i checked and i might be a month off in the data but there's a bit of discussion on social media that 500 byd addo 3s have been registered um and now obviously a bit more um just to put things into context byd in australia's data is not available but we know with the data sets that we have um where byd in australia so far has delivered closer to 800 
vehicles. Um, but and and it's only going to grow very quickly from here. They've had uh, they're opening experience centers. They're doing a lot of the right things, and they've got a, about a four thousand order backlog to work through. Yeah, seems like they've, they've got a bit of the Tesla um, fanboy feel about them. I'm in the Facebook group, and everyone's like, "I love my car," or "I'm waiting for my car." I want it now. It's it's really you're right. That's the where things are heading uh, with this Adrian. Like, I really feel that's the first sort of EV that is different enough, and it's a ground up EV. And in Australia, it comes even the extended range comes under the fifty thousand dollar mark with the subsidies from the states. So that is attractive. But also, as I mentioned earlier. In Queensland, the subsidy cap is $58,000. It's the only ground-up EV you can get that is qualifies for that subsidy up there. And Queensland, as you know, is known for sun and solar. And people want people have this aspiration of not relying on fossil fuels and being able to charge with their solar panels. Um, it's an ideal sort of car for Queensland conditions. But basically, anywhere, I think it's it's... It's a very, very good value proposition from a ground-up electric car that's efficient, that's different, that is affordable, um, all of those things. And it's got over-the-air updates, which, you know, to get behind the wheel of a similar Tesla, you're paying in Australia close to $15,000 more. Yeah. So that's, you know, a quarter of a car or a third yeah, of a yeah, car yeah. in the BYD's case. Yeah. So has, has the sort of the vibe of Australia sort of switching over to EVs now from the the classic V8 Holden sort of? I know that sort of uh, moved on a bit now anyway, but well, like I watched the, Bathurst in, in the weekend. And, oh, what was it last week? And it sort of yeah. Um, I think I think they have to. Yeah. They have no other choice. It's um, you know people are starting to think about EVs. There's certain pressures that are coming on people. Um, basically, most of the country, in most of the populated areas have been, most of the states have been impacted by some level of climate change. That, you know, some may call it a disaster over the last couple of years, whether it's bushfires, whether it's flooding like they've never seen before. You know, there's so many residents in Australia, and I'm it's it's all around the world, right? But mm. but people are not silly anymore, and they're seeing the change, and they know that fossil fuels, whether they like to accept it or not, just yet. But a lot of people, the last uh, the last federal election was won on the back of, um, let's just say. Uh, yeah, it, it was literally one on the off the back of climate change as the main sort of area which wasn't being addressed by the previous government and hasn't been addressed by them for the last 10 years. Yeah. Where yeah. this I government... Saw, I saw Paul Keating being interviewed and he said the same thing. I was quite surprised. I thought it was, he was going to go oil and gas, but he was saying, no, no, we've got to go electrics and the, the interviewer seemed shocked he was saying that. Yeah, and this is where things are changing now. Like the the people know they have to do something, and we can't um, continue to have the status quo of, 
firstly, in it may this may be a controversial comment, but I love the car industry. I love manufacturing. My background's mechanical engineering, and but coming from the manufacturing background, in some ways, it's not this is not a popular view, but in some ways, I'm glad we no longer manufacture Holdens and Fords in Australia because we would have done the same thing that we have been doing, building large engine block V8s, V6s, you know, um, putting all this emission into our air. I'm, in some ways, I'm glad we sort of stopped four or five years ago by necessity because the manufacturers couldn't make money anymore. But that industry, um, it's it's just helped Australians consider different vehicles that are not V8s. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so say in five years' time, do you think that infrastructure is going to be more and better in place in a national level, state level, or will it, will it still be discussions still? Or is it, is it ramping up the change? Is change ramping up? Um, looking at the same live stream that you were mentioning with the New South Wales government, yeah. they're leading the way and they will be doing quite a lot in this space. Um, I think we're basically like a bit of a greenfield site for most larger global charging players, whether it's the petrol companies or others. So that if they are they know they've sort of lost the battle in European markets and others and those they want to be part of the part of the part of the action around EVs so Australia is becoming more and more attractive to those that are in it for the long run so we have for example I'm not sure if in New Zealand you have Total Energies um oh, so to, uh, I don't know if we have them. I'm not sure. I know so, of them. Yeah. Total, as you know, is a French oil and gas company, yeah. but they've transitioned their business towards EVs and charging in many markets. They, I know that previously they wanted to enter Australian market and there may be some work happening to do that. But basically all these global players are now looking at this market and saying it's green enough where we can enter and we can make some progress. Plus at the state and territory level, there's a lot happening from a charging infrastructure point of view already. And New South Wales is clearly leading the way, but I think they're creating, you know, from those lessons, other states. We have this little state of origin thing going on where we, where once a state sees that something's happening that's working, then all of a sudden they're like, well, we don't want to lose out for our residents. And then everyone will be going. But we need a national strategy to do that. And hopefully by June next year, that national strategy will bring everyone in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like the change you were saying, I saw, I just read Volvo's, they're bringing forward their change to complete EVs in Australia. And I said 2026 instead of 2030. So like you said, I guess everyone's trying to get into the, uh, the Australian market. Uh, yeah, and and you know, Volvo's had their struggles. I drove the new Volvo C40 yesterday, recharge, and uh, it's the coupe version of the XC40 recharge, which I drove last year, and I loved that car. And since then, it's based off the Polestar platform, so Polestar as well, which is you know one of Volvo's or Geely that owns all of these brands. They are doing something quite unique 
given their market positioning. And they've always sort of been ahead of the pack in the sustainability space and design and safety. And if they can get past the supply chain issues that they've got, or if in Australia we have fuel fuel um, fuel standards, because at the moment we have no fuel standards, so anyone can dump any car into Australia as long as it's safe enough. It's okay. It doesn't matter what it burns and how much it burns. Once we start to get those fuel emission standards, which is part of the national strategy, then um, then it will help brands like Volvo that are ahead of the pack to want to um, bring more cars into Australia that are EV focused. But it's good to see that they're doing that and other brands will start to follow. Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking range range anxiety. I guess that is a bit of a problem in Australia with, you, with the size of Australia. People moaning about it here, but I was like, oh, you think of the distances in Australia people travel. But it's interesting. We did, it's like last week's live stream we did with Tom was with a gentleman that just picked up his Model Y and went on a 14,000 kilometer road trip. Yeah. Wow. Right? He, he did that in 13 days and he said he wouldn't change that for anything. He said there's enough enough plugs in or not charging infrastructure things but there's enough power points and places you can plug your car in and do and he is doing he did stuff in remote areas that you know i wouldn't consider but if they can do it then that sort of stories can be translated into if they can do it then we can do it and the range on cars is getting better if we look at the vehicle market I feel that in 2022, if you launch an electric car that is, let's just say, bigger than a small hatchback and it has less than 350 kilometers of WLTP range, the market will punish you for it. And in some ways, this is going to... There's some brands that are bringing affordable EVs and they may sell okay in fleets, but for consumers, they still expect 400 plus kilometers of range. And if Tesla's delivering that, if BYD is delivering that, then under 50 grand, that's the benchmark that the consumers have, are starting to get now and saying, well, we won't accept for anything under than that because it's a big investment for them. And it's a lot of getting over the other fear that they have at the moment around how long will the batteries last they're taking a risk with this new technology like all early adopters do but they they can be forgiving about certain things but at the same time they're not they're not going to go and get a 200 kilometer or 250 kilometer ev for 50 grand when they can get something that offers 400 kilometers minimum yeah yeah so do you think it's going to be like the chinese brand is leading the way then in the next three to five years, yeah, yeah, there is no doubt. There is no doubt BYD. And I try and say this to a fair few different com- companies and people that we work with, um, you know, large media companies, our automotive media companies. I'm already telling them that, look, if, if we continue to... Uh, think that in the next five years we're going to the the top 10 brands for vehicles is going to look the same then there's something seriously wrong because you know i'm predicting we will have four to five new brands in the top 10 vehicle segment in australia in the next three years that nobody's even heard of today 
BYD, they will most certainly in the next two years be in the top 10 brands. Yeah. Some of those Japanese brands are worried, aren't they? Some of them. And, and, you know, like being yourself in New Zealand, um, yeah. you know, traditionally with the importing of vehicles from Japan, I think it brought a lot of prosperity to the pre-EV world. It brought a lot of prosperity. It allowed affordability for people that, you know, couldn't possibly afford a new vehicle, but they were able to, if those import rules which allowed those vehicles to be bought and weren't there, they would be driving something that would be unsafe, old, probably less fuel efficient. But those rules allowed for that. This is the pre-EV era. The moving forward, the Japanese are unfortunately stuck in their own ways. You know, there's some, uh, yes, Nissan is known for the Leafs and and the impact that that sort of had in starting the mass EV adoption flywheel. But there's brands like, for example, Mitsubishi has quietly been doing a fair few things over the years with their Mitsubishi Intelligent Electric Vehicle. You remember, I'm not sure if they ever launched those in New Zealand, the tiny little car that... Um, it was called the Mitsubishi Maev or MIEV, Mitsubishi Intelligent Electric Vehicle. And when they were launched in Australia, they were in 2010. I was working at Bosch as an intern and we, Bosch was one of the partners and we were allowed to zip around in those just for a little test drive. And they, that was the same sort of time that Nissan came up with the Leaf. Um, fast forward to today, Mitsubishi is selling vehicles like the Outlander plug-in hybrid they've sort of been plugging away at it pardon the pun over the years with it but now I think that they are really seeing that there is an there is a market for that vehicle it's not full electric and yes it will have from a maintenance and engineering background that it will have maintenance that will still be required unlike evs but i feel that it's a good transition vehicle but mitsubishi as a japanese brand has been doing that and they have the ability to deliver more of those type of vehicles that are safer that are cleaner than the larger suvs but they also need to educate the consumers on how to use plug-in hybrid electric vehicles yeah so yeah. the those traditional brands will struggle but some may do a bit better but they need guidance they need guidance and assistance in countries like australia and new zealand to better transition and bring models that are going to meet the demand that is shifting so quickly that unless you're really looking at the data and insights to know what's going on you're going to be left behind and it's very hard to catch up from that point of view and the japanese brands have that have the trust, but they will lose it very quickly if they cannot move at the pace that the market expects them to move. Hmm. Yeah, I saw one brand that was released a new model, like you said about range, it said ideal for round town was kind of yeah. their <laughs> way of saying the battery didn't last very long. <laughs> it was kind well, of, and all these comments, but the people are like, yeah, it's great inside, but that doesn't go far. But yes, best designed for round town. And it wasn't a cheap car. It was... That was how they coded it in the in the feedback. 
look, you know, and, and the Japanese, not whether it's Japanese brands or not, the market will be the end decider of what happens. Yeah. And my and what I mentioned earlier around the the consumers are very well researched now, and if they see something, well, why should they have the second best when they can afford the best that afford the best within their budget? That is, so market will demand that with the way things are going. And maybe just bringing it back to Carl, how, what's going to happen? How are you going to sort of be developing with sort of this increasing market as well? It's, um, it's funny, right? So with the startup journey, I've been on it for six years. And um, the way the market is changing, um, we feel that we can empower Australia's transition towards electrification but it's about combining two two different problems that, as you know, exist around EVs. One is the transport component, which is vehicles. They're vehicles. They're just going to get people from A to B and provide people with opportunities uh, in a cleaner, safer way. But the other bigger challenge that Australia has in particular, given its size and scale, is the energy side. So how are we going to be less reliant on fossil fuels and help ourselves, but also the world transition? And energy is now meeting transport because EVs are EVs can be a great storage device with the battery that we have. Whether we use it to power the grid or not, is that's for the visionaries to think about. The way I see it, because I'm not very clever, but the way I see it is that if we can use the energy where it's created via solar panels, whether it's at office where you work or whether it's at home, if you're able to use the energy when it's being produced during the day, which we can charge off the solar panel at work, if there's enough charging infrastructure available, then we solve multiple problems. We solve all this excess energy that we're wasting during the day that's just running up and down power lines. We are creating um, electricity and using it to power our vehicles. We are relying less on international fossil fuel prices and trajectories of where things will go. We're burning less fuel. We're not transmitting unnecessary energy across power lines that is going to be wasted. And we will be able to not charge at night and not charge. Not everyone will have that option. Don't get me wrong. But if we can charge during the day at workplaces and other places where our vehicles are already there without shifting or changing as much behavior and only making the infrastructure a bit better, then we can, we no longer have to rely on fossil fuel to be bored somewhere, um, you know, refined in Singapore, which is where the larger refineries are that supply to Australia, be more, um, let's just say, energy independent. So we have energy security. We're no longer worried whether someone's going to block the ports or 
something is going to happen or there's another war somewhere else that will impact the fuel supply into our country. And I, I when I say our country, I always include New Zealand in that because we, you know, as a trans-Tasman, let's not call it bubble because that's back in the day, but as a trans-Tasman sort of nations, we can work and we have an obligation to fix our own backyard and then help the Pacific Islands to do the same. And to do that, we need to have proper, well-thought-out infrastructure and energy systems today so then we can go and help other parts of the world with the, which are within our region and help them transition because they have a bigger problem. They may not have the islands that they're on. Yeah. So we can do that as wealthy nations to help them get to the same stage. But to do it properly, we need to fix our own backyard first and use the energy where it's produced and batteries. Never before we've had this opportunity to store that much energy at such a distributed way, but not impact on people's lives as much as what our current system is, which is 300 kilometers from here, there is power plants that burn fossil fuels. It's dug up there. It's burnt there inefficiently. Energy is produced, sent down power lines with all these losses. Solar at people's houses is producing solar and electricity again, further pumping into our grid that can't cope already. And we need to use that energy during the day and not waste it like we are today. Well, that's great. Great, great. Riz, thanks for your time. I guess that's probably a good point to finish on there. And uh, I look forward to seeing how your business develops along with the Australian uh, EV industry. Should be things, a... things are changing and it's one of the most exciting times um, to sort of be alive if you have an interest in, you know, cleaning up um, our planet. But at the same time, transport can be cleaner and our cities can be cleaner the world can be a better place if we do this properly and it's more smooth smoother to do it today than five years down the track where we still need to fix up a lot of things in our backyard hopefully that's all sorted and um yeah appreciate the opportunity adrian no it's great thanks very much no stress thanks mate thank you speak soon